Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to another live edition of the Metrospective. I'm Ted Berg, joined online and alone in the chat room for now while we wait for it to populate by N Athletics Beat. And it's, it's a very awkward thing to word. One athletic beat writer, the athletic beat writer for the Mets, Tim Britt. Tim. What's up? Uh, I just, can, can we start over? I want to. I want to immediately retract that. What's up? I didn't. That was terrible. No, that, no. Yeah, Although this is the library, we can't. We can't. Ugh. No, we can't. We're all to it. We're all to it. So luckily, uh, very few people were here for that. Um, whereas now there are listeners are streaming in. So if you have a question for the Metrospective, and I got a feeling there are some topics we're gonna we're gonna cover quite a bit today. If you have a question and you want to join us on stage, just join the queue via the via the app uh i i don't want to get to juan soto yet i do want to bring up something that we probably won't talk about otherwise uh, on the show today which was a, a nice story from ken rosenthal on the athletic about how edwin diaz sort of spearheaded the campaign to get david bednar into the all-star game because it was his first all-star appearance did you check that did you read that yeah i thought that was a really cool story uh you know i, I think like like some other people i probably was wondering you know, why isn't Edwin Diaz pitching the ninth inning of the All-Star game? He had been the, the best closer in the National League uh, over the course of the first half of the season. That's generally who gets that, that last inning of the All-Star game. Uh, and certainly when Bednar was in and, and you saw Diaz in the bullpen, you thought he'd come in for an out or two. Uh, but it was, you know, according to, to Ken, that was Edwin Diaz who, who pushed uh, Brian Snicker to put David Bednar in the game because it's his first All-Star appearance. Diaz pitched in the game in 2018 and, and knew how much that meant to him. So he wanted Bednar to get that All-Star game experience uh, so that's a pretty cool thing for a guy to do uh, for someone else in the, in the league, not on his team. And as Bednar said, it kind of tells you what kind of person, what kind of teammate Edwin Diaz is. And it was sort of, uh, I mean, it was sort of similar with Starling Marte and Juan Soto during the home run derby where you saw how supportive Marte was. I think a lot of people read, um, read some conspiracies into that, but I don't think there was anything to it. I think it was just a suit two guys who knew each other and uh, were throwing it down a little bit. But um, while I would caution against ever, you know, going all in on like personally loving a baseball player that you don't actually know, uh, this team feels very easy to root for. Like there, it it doesn't seem like there's like a. I, I don't, it's, it's always easy to, easy to root for a team with a with a plus uh, six hundred plus winning percentage too. So you can sort of see the good guys and and identify the the stories you like, but. It's a likable group of dudes with some personality. Uh, did you see how Marley, Mar- Marte dressed for the for the All Star arrival? Yeah, that, that's actually uh, you know Starling and I had talked about that because I, I, that's how I dressed for one of the, the last games before the All Star break. Um, <laughs> I don't pull it off as well. 
Yeah, who wore it best? Uh, I'm going to guess, um, without having seen you shirtless, I'm going to just guess that it's Sterling Marco. I think, I think on the 20 to 80 scale, uh, he's an 80 in that category. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, uh, like as, as I said on Twitter, like, like why, you know, they were like, where's your shirt? There are people were asking him, where's his shirt? Well, why would he have a shirt? What? Like, you, you shouldn't wear a shirt if you look like Starling Mark Day. Why would he own one? It, sh- it shouldn't be, you know. Right. It's like the the, uh, the George, George Bernard Shaw, like Starling Marte. Should, we should be asking whenever he's wearing a shirt, why is he doing that <laughs> rather than. Right, right. Uh, like he should play, he should be able to, he should be, I, I think, allowed to play shirtless if he <laughs> so chooses. It, you'd get like some, some rash or some burns probably from sliding. But uh, man, what a display. Uh, we have some questions coming in. Uh, Vincent D says, I don't want to talk about Juan Soto anymore. Well, I, I have a feeling it's bad luck for you. Um, but uh, he's, he says he's not going to the Mets. Will the Nationals even consider a Josh Bell trade? And when do you expect trade season to kick off? Yeah, I mean, I think that the Nats will certainly, I think it's likelier that Josh Bell gets moved before the deadline than Juan Soto gets moved because it's his walk year. Uh, you know, even if you're Washington and you want to re-sign Josh Bell and, and David Aldridge at The Athletic did a, a good piece on what Bell has meant to the community in Washington, D.C., uh, and uh, why the Nats should look into keeping him long term. Uh, even if you want to do that, if you're the Nationals, it, you can still trade him and sign him in the offseason. We've seen teams do that. You know, the Mets did it with Jerry's Familia. So I, I would think that it's uh, I, I, nothing is certain in life, but I think uh, one, uh, Josh Bell being traded before the deadline is uh, very likely to happen. Uh, I think, you know, look, it's July 22nd. That means we've got nine, 11 days before the trade deadline. You know, there, there's a couple of teams that I wrote about on Thursday that are kind of in that middle ground. The, the Red Sox and Giants stand out as teams that have seen their playoff odds come down a little bit. Uh, and if they decide to sell, it changes the market a little a little bit. So, you know, you might not go all in on, on Josh Bell on July 22nd, wondering if Jock Peterson or J.D. Martinez or Wilmer Flores would be available on July 31st. Uh, but uh, I, I do think... You know, we'll finish out kind of this week, this weekend of games, and probably you know by next Tuesday, Wednesday, we'll start to see some movement on the on on, tra- on the trade front. Yeah, it's funny. Forever, it felt like the the logic was, oh, if you have any intention to re-sign a guy, you can't trade him as a rental, even though that word rental sort of implies that you're going to be taking him back at some point. <laughs> um, but and and it makes no sense, right? Like if the, if the Nationals are really invested invested in Josh Bell long term and I don't know Josh Bell, but if he's a smart enough guy to understand, like, hey, we want you back, and we're going to talk about bringing you back in the off season. But do you want to come back to a slightly better team? Because if that's the case, then like, go hang out in some other city for a few months, and then you'll come back, and we'll also have whatever prospects we got for you. Like it, it feels almost insulting to the baseball players to say. Oh, this guy will never come back because he'll be so offended that he got traded to a contending team and had a chance to play in the postseason. There, there is a flip side to that uh, that I don't think exists with Bell as much. You know, I think when you've got a guy who's never played somewhere else, uh, you know, mm-hmm. covering the Red Sox with John Lester, you know, they were looking to, to re-sign John Lester before the 2014 season to extend him. They gave him a low-ball offer, and then they ended up trading him to Oakland uh, that July, that that trade deadline. Uh, and Lester finishes out the season with the A's, hits free agency, and playing away from Boston gave him a sense of what it was like to play for a different team. And hey, it's 
you know, I can get comfortable in a different environment. You know, it's not as scary to sign with someone else that isn't the Red Sox as it might have been had he just played his whole career with one team. Uh, and so that that made it a little harder for Boston to re-sign him that winter when they tried. So uh, I think that's a dynamic that, that could exist, you know, if you're, say, the Cubs and trying to, to re-sign Wilson Contreras, which I don't think they are. Mm-hmm. Um or another team where the guy has been in your your system, your your in your organization for a decade or something, uh, and change is a little scary. Uh, and you give him a taste of it before free agency. That that could change the dynamic. But with Bell, that that doesn't exist because he came up with Pittsburgh. Right. I, I, I get that. I think that there's like there's probably a sense of betrayal to it, even if you know logically, like, oh, this is the business move they had to make. You're like, oh, these are the dudes I've been doing my thing for for the last ten years. And like, how are they, if they've seen me work and see what I put into this and see what I could do, why would they want to? Like, I get that. But I just feel like at this point, most baseball players get that it's, this is the business. And like, just trading you now does not mean that team does not want you. Yeah, I mean, the, the loyalty thing plays into, or the, the business side of it, like, you know, oh, it's, it's just a smart business move by them. By the way, you know my smart business move in the offseason is going to be taking the most money, regardless of where it comes from. I think it's it's hard if you're an organization to say, okay, we're gonna, you know, we're trading you now because that's that's best business practice. It'll make our team better. Uh, you know, we'll we'll disrupt your life a little bit for two months, regardless of how comfortable you are. Uh, and then in the offseason, you would really like you to give us a discount to come back here because you like it so much. Uh, I think that's a tough yeah, that's, that's a tough true. line to walk as an organization. Naturally, Ryan G is waiting in the queue. Ryan, what is up? Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, just, hey, wanted to give a call here. Feeling really good about the Metropolitans. July 22nd, 58 and 35. We're doing good. Now, I don't know about y'all. I think the biggest concern for us heading into the end of the season here, heading into the postseason ball, we need to improve this bullpen. I don't know what's going on with Drew Smith. I don't know what's going on with my guy, Seth Lugo, who I love. Like, when Adam Adovino is, like, your best reliever at the moment, I think that that could be a potential issue for the Mets. Uh, any, like, targets out there and the relievers that the Mets are looking at that you guys have heard of? Uh... Thanks, Ryan. Like, like the energy and the positivity. You don't always hear that. Um, yeah, like, I'm actually looking at a list I made of, uh, I think, 20 different relievers who the Mets could be interested in. Um, I, I think, you know, you're going to hear about David Robertson with the Cubs. Tell me about all 20. Tell me about all 20. <laughs> David Robertson is number one on the list. That was the first guy I thought of. Um, uh, I don't, yeah. And then, uh, you know, Michael Gibbons on the Cubs. Like, there's going to be different strata of relievers. I don't think we're going to hear the Mets in on someone who's currently closing outside of Robertson. I don't, I don't think uh, uh, maybe Gregory Soto in Detroit. Like, like there's no one obviously that's going to displace Diaz. If you're looking for, uh, uh, you know, your, your eighth inning guy, like Robertson, Soto from Detroit, Michael Fulmer from Detroit. Uh, makes some sense. Uh, a guy that I think would be interesting. You know, I, can you believe I mentioned two guys from Detroit and not Andrew Chafin? Um, I I was waiting for it. Uh, uh, you know, Matt Moore in Texas is having a really nice season as a reliever. Uh, comes from the left side as well. So that's another guy that you can think about. Joe Mantiply from the Diamondbacks was just on the all-star team as a 31-year-old. He's got a lot of team control left, but uh, is a 31-year-old left-handed reliever for a team that is is pretty far out of contention. So I don't think you, you consider him untouchable if you're Arizona and you can get something back. Uh, Daniel Bard in Colorado. Uh, what a, a really incredible story to spend as much time out of the game as he has uh, and then come back and have kind of this second act to his career. Uh, one, one guy that I think is interesting uh, and I'm starting to see other people pick up on it is Lou Trevino in Oakland. Uh, a guy, I don't know what his ERA is now, but it was like nine the last time I checked. Uh, 
and his batting average on balls in play was 500. Um, so I, I think a guy whose peripherals look a lot better than his primary stats in Trevino and reminds me a little bit of Addison Reed when the Mets picked him up from Arizona in mm-hmm. 2015. You know, Reed had been kind of like a decent reliever, uh, not a, a lights out guy. And, and the peripherals looked a little bit better than the, the, than the primary stats. Uh, and then became lights out for the Mets and for a couple of seasons, not just for the final month and a half. It was an August trade. So I think if you're looking for a kind of a buy low reliever who's got some stuff, I think Trevino would be, would fit that mold. Is that enough? I've, I've, got, I've got like 12 more. You know what reminds me of Addison Reed? What? Uh, there is a, a hair salon uh, right near my home called Madison Reed. <laughs> and every time I pass it, I just assume that like the last step of doing your hair is tipping your hat right up on your head the way Addison <laughs> Reed did. When I, like, so I will never, like, I, I, except I'm going to move at some point. So I will eventually forget Addison Reed. But as long as I keep passing this hair salon, I will think about Addison Reed like every single day. Or listening to the gin blossoms, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, that's a good call. That's a good call. I do. Uh, I did. I did. I had forgotten about the like flip up the, the top of the cap. That was. I thought that was a cooler version of. Remember, like Rafael Soriano would untuck his shirt uh, very vigorously yeah, at the end of the game, yeah. and uh, all of the Yankee fans and and beat writers would like hashtag untuck when the game was over. Um, I thought the the cap was a, a more subtle, nuanced version of that. It had a very Western feel to it, I felt. Like, it felt like he was, like, tipping up his cowboy hat because he was done being a cowboy for the day. Uh, William, William S. is waiting on the line with us with a question. What's up, William? Hey, guys. Um, Tim, I really appreciate the reporting. And uh, speaking of which, I've become a bit obsessed with the sort of mystery surrounding Jacob deGrom in general. He seems to be one of the least accessible Met superstars of all time. All the reporting around him is very cagey and in shadows. He doesn't seem to give much to the media. Um, there's all this like rampant speculation about how he feels about the team, his contract. Uh, and we just don't seem to know much about him. Um, I don't know. I'm very excited about the second half, as I'm sure most Met fans are. And I just, I'm very curious about how the story of Jacob deGrom is going to play out. And sort of just like, Tim, like, what's your sense about Jacob deGrom, the guy, and how he feels about even being in New York, man. Yeah, I mean, join the club of people intrigued by what Jacob deGrom might be in the second half of the season. Uh, there is, he is, this is my fifth year covering Jake. Uh, he is less accessible than other superstars that I have covered. And, and that goes not just for the everyday beat writer, uh, but for national media as well. And actually, as an everyday beat writer, you kind of appreciate it when the guy treats everyone that way. The, the players you, uh, that frustrate you the most are guys who are difficult to the daily beat and then, uh, really accessible to national media. DeGrom is not that way. He's just kind of, you know, he's a, he keeps to himself. Uh, from a publicity standpoint, more so than we're used to guys in New York doing. Uh, that doesn't mean he's like a, an aloof teammate or anything like that. He is involved in the clubhouse. You know, he's, he's good friends with a lot of guys in the clubhouse. You, you know, David Wright and Jacob DeGrom got along famously during Wright's tenure with the team. Um, you know, how he feels about New York, like, I think he's less invested in the, of the secondary parts of being a superstar in New York than, say, Matt Harvey was or Noah Syndergaard was, uh, which, you know, you could argue makes him a better fit to be a superstar in New York, that, that those things don't concern him as much. I, you know, I don't expect, I, I think if Jacob deGrom opts out at the end of the season, which is my expectation, which is, I think, everyone's expectation, uh, I still think the money is going to be what matters most uh, because, you know, he 
he saw he, he signed his contract extension and then very quickly uh, it was not market value for for his talent level, especially when he backed it up with another Cy Young in 2019. So I, I don't think this is going to be a case where Jacob deGrom sees a, a, the highest offer comes from the Mets and he takes significantly less money to go somewhere else, uh, whether that be you know Atlanta, as Buster Olney has reported or somewhere else. Uh, you know, you go back to what was it? Was it 2017 where, where people were talking about the Mets trading DeGrom to Houston or something um, and that he, he wasn't happy in New York? That was before I was on the beat. Uh, so I, I don't think I don't think he's uh, all about New York the way some other players on the Mets have been. But I still think if it comes to the open market and free agency, that money is going to talk the most for DeGrom at this point in his career. I mean, I hate to say I hate to say it, but at this point of his career, like depending on what DeGrom looks like in the second half here, you have to wonder, and again, like, you know I'm all in on Steve Cohen spending every dollar he has if he needs to to make the Mets roster better, but if you're looking at it, like, in the conventional sense, you're signing a a mid-30s pitcher who's coming off two straight years derailed by injury. Like, that's, I don't know, there's some question marks there. I wonder if DeGrom's going to get the deal that he might have fantasized about a little while ago. Uh, Micah probably has a question for Tim, but I am here to answer it. Michael, what's up? Hey, um, so I just wanted to talk, uh, ask a little bit about uh, Daniel Vogelbach. Um, I know there's been some chatter recently that the Mets are interested in him. and wondering how um, he would fit uh, with the Mets. And also, um, there's been some chatter as well about C.J. Crone. So I wonder if either of those are real possibilities. Uh, you know, I would guess, I think that I, I want to see Crone recently signed an extension in then, Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Tim is back. Tim is back. And to, to confirm that Crone did recently sign an extension in Colorado, which makes him less likely. Vogelbach is a pretty obvious fit because he basically does, I mean, without the defense, but he's basically, uh, he's filling the role you wanted Dom Smith to yeah, that, I, I missed the question because I, I'm terrible with my <laughs> terrible with this technology. Uh, we, uh, yeah, after I, we answer it, I want to go back to what you're saying about Jacob Degrom. But uh, Michael wanted to know about uh, CJ Crone and Dan Vogelbach as potential fits. Yeah, like it sounded like you were saying, Crone makes less sense to me because he signed the extension in Colorado, and as we've talked about with other other Rockies. They did not trade Trevor Story or Jonathan Gray last year when they were both going to be free agents. They, did, they didn't trade Gray, and they didn't give him a qualifying offer. Uh, so why would they trade someone who's under contract control for them? Uh, well, it's like chaos theory. It's like chaos theory with the Rockies, right? They signed Chris Bryant, so you have no idea. Yeah, I mean, you, you, can, you can probably uh, – <laughs> you never know what they're capable of, uh, but I, I, I would not expect them to move Crone or Kyle Freeland or any of those guys that they have signed longer term. Well, what about Vogelbach? Oh, Vogelbach is a guy who makes sense. I think he's under control for another season and a half with Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, a guy who hits left, who hits, sorry, hits right-handers really well, basically unplayable against lefties. Like you said, does what Dom Smith, what do you want Dom Smith to do offensively uh, has, has virtually no defensive value. Uh, but, you know, if you're looking for kind of cheaper DH options than someone like Josh Bell, uh, you could definitely do worse than Vogelbach. It'd be interesting if they pair, you know, who they would want to pair him with as a platoon guy, whether that is J.D. Davis already in the, already on the team, Mark Vientos, who we talked about, has, has hit left-handers really well in AAA, or, uh, you know, someone else on the, the open, on, through, through a trade. I mean, I think I think Vogelback, he's a fun he's a fun guy to root for, as fans probably know. Uh, a pretty good fit. Uh, not a you know, 
uh, not a great fit for Coach Airline seat. He's a, he's a large man, but uh, but a good fit, I think, for the Mets roster and a guy I think a lot of people would get behind. We have some questions in the chat. Uh, any consideration, this is from Khalil C. He wants to know, any consideration to trading for Luis Castillo given potential rotation openings this winter similar to the Marcus Stroman trade? Yeah, so our, our C. Trent Rosecrans, who covers the Reds for the Athletic, uh, kind of canvassed uh, the various beat writers across across the organization to see to to solicit trade offers for Luis Castillo. So I, I took part in that. Uh, you know, I think nine different writers were, were giving him what their organization would give up for someone like Castillo. Uh, and, you know, the, I think the Mets have the pieces to get something like that done. Uh, it would probably you know be headlined by Ronnie Mauricio and then have another important at least one other big piece in it get Castillo uh, I just don't think at this point um, you know and, and the uncertainty around DeGrom can can change that of course that the Mets would would make the big move for a starting pitcher because that would be it's more a luxury than a need right now we could have said that last July 22nd as well um, and it became more of a need by July 31st uh, so you don't know how the next 11 days are going to go but uh, I, I would be surprised if the Mets biggest trade was for a starter and if, if you're trading for Castillo that that's probably your biggest trade and I think if you're trading for Castillo, like it's going to have to be a team. It would more likely be a team more desperate for a starting pitcher, right? Because he's going to be the big piece on the trade deadline. Yeah, and I, I think if you're thinking about like a starter the Mets could get, who's got a good track record but is having a terrible season, uh, like a guy like Blake Snell in San Diego stands out a little bit because San Diego is going to need to get wants to move salary, especially if they want to add anything to their team because they're right up against threshold. Snell is making. Uh, I forget exactly what he's making this year, but it's $10 million against the uh, the luxury tax. He's under control next season. He, he reminds me, it's not the same as acquiring Oliver Perez in 2006 because Perez uh, was much younger and hadn't won a Cy Young, obviously. But it would be kind of that kind of move where you're getting someone in the midst of a bad season that you felt you could do something with uh, and, and you'd get them largely for next year. Uh, you know, Snell would, would plug into the rotation next year but could be of value to you down the stretch of this season if you were able to fix what ails them. Does that mean that Blake Snow will still be pitching like 25 years from now, like Oliver Perez is? Yeah, I think that means it is exactly, <laughs> you can draw the, the through line through that. And, you know, one of the things in doing the, the reporting on the, the Juan Soto possibilities is I asked a couple people like, what does Patrick Corbin have left? Uh, because, you know, if you're taking on that contract, you, you want to know, is he a guy you can put in your rotation? Is he a guy uh, you can... No. Is he, is he a guy you've got to release? And uh, a few different scouts that I talked to said, you know, I wonder what he would look like as a reliever, just kind of in a short burst with that slider. Uh, and uh, all I was thinking of was like, yeah, like Patrick Corbin could just be Oliver Perez, but making $35 million in 2024. I mean, if you're taking on the money, you might as well get something out of him or try to. But like, you can't. I mean, he has a he has a five eight five ERA over the last two seasons. You can't if you're a contending team that can't be in your rotation. Yeah, you, you don't you don't put him in the rotation in the final two months of this year. I don't think if you acquired him, you would put him in the rotation out of spring training next year. Uh, question in the chat from Howard. He wants to know: Is Joey Lucchese back soon, and does his availability change anything? Uh, Lucchese, I think, is on track for maybe a couple September appearances. I don't think that changes anything. I don't think you 
saying we don't need a left-handed reliever because Joey Lucchese is coming back. Uh, you know, he's he is again an option for next season. And and when we when we get into the offseason and we talk about how the Mets are going to rebuild their rotation because you're likely looking at Degrom as a free agent, at Taiwan Walker as a free agent, at Chris Bassett as a free agent, uh, and maybe even Carlos Carrasco if the Mets don't pick up his option. You know, you're going to have Tyler McGill and David Peterson and Joey Lucchese as in-house options to be in your rotation, but you probably don't plan on all three of them doing that. Uh, mm-hmm. And so uh, it will be interesting to see what kind of math the Mets do. I think they'd like to get a look at Lucchese down the stretch to see what he's got, um, you know, to see whether he's uh, 100% worth tendering a contract to, which I would imagine, um, but just to see what, what he, you know, get him a couple appearances before the end of the season and then have a better idea of what he's got through a normal offseason and into spring training next year. I don't think he's a guy who's going to be contending for a postseason roster or anything like that. It's not going to be like, oh, well, we didn't get anyone at the trade deadline, but Joey Lucchese is like a big trade deadline acquisition. Because the, the DeGrom thing is sort of setting itself up to be that. Like, that's what we're used to, I think, from a previous Mets administration. It's like, oh, well, we're, we didn't get a big deal at the deadline done. But, like, don't worry. We have so many injured guys that it's like getting a big deal. Right. You want to assess it as it will be icing on the cake uh, come July 31st. That, that kind of, uh, you know, they, they have actually used that phrasing with DeGrom. It makes a little bit more sense when it's Jacob DeGrom than when it's right. uh, some of the other players it has been applied to over, over Mets history. On August 3rd, will Francisco <laughs> Alvarez still be in, in uh, Mets minor league? Minor league. Or uh, yeah. I, I, uh, well, it's actually more interesting if you if you say, you know, is he going to be on a minor league team or is he going to be in the organization? Uh I think, you know, as, as much as, and sorry for my chair squeaking, uh, as, as much as we've talked about the possibility of a Soto trade, I don't think you think it's likely. It's not, it's not 51% likelihood. Uh, so, uh, and I, I don't see the Mets trading Alvarez for anyone else. Tim has been cut off again, but I will complete his sentence and say anyone besides Juan Soto. Was I right, Tim? I think that's what I was trying to say when I accidentally left the chat. <laughs> uh, let's end there, then. If you've got a question for the show uh, to be answered in a more traditional format, please uh, get at us on Twitter. I'm at OG Ted Berg. Tim is at Tim Britton. You can email asktedberg at gmail.com. We will be back next week, and the Mets will have played some games because I was not ready for the four-day All-Star break. Yeah, it'll be nice to see actual action again uh, starting tonight with San Diego. And then we can just stop talking about the trade deadline, right? Uh, on August 4th, we will be able to stop talking about the trade deadline. That will be nice. D- disagree. Well, we can now because there's no, there's no waiver wire thing happening anymore. Uh, but I will still want to talk about the trade deadline. That's what we talk about. Uh, until that time, peace out. Adios. Adios.